Well, have you ever wondered how leisure activities got their start? We have to go all the way back to the 1800s to look at some of them. That's when Britain enacted the 10-hour act. This restricted the amount of hours women and children could work in places like textile mills from working more than 10 hours a day. A bit of a contrast from the typical 16-hour workday. That led to people trying to find out what they could do in their leisure time. Well, joining us to talk about what some of those activities looked like is Jackie Turner, Associate Professor of Modern British History at the University of Reading. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. I've never really thought about when leisure activities started, but this is a pretty fascinating look at the 10-hour act that gave people a bit more time in the day. Then we saw these uh, different activities come about. What uh, did we see kind of change as far as uh, the birth of leisure activities? I think you hit the nail on the head there. We've seen lots of legislative change around working practices. So we see gradually, we see the introduction of a 10-hour day, of an 8-hour day, 1901 for factory workers. Even down to 1912, we see shop and retail workers. And we see a shorter working week, and it gives the working classes more leisure time. In Britain as well, during that same period, we see, we see an outburst and a huge building of railways. And seaside towns spring up at the end of railways, and people just demand more leisure activity. Hmm. Well, it's so interesting and, and looking at that and kind of the, the geography of it and where people went. But it does seem a little different in what uh, if you asked somebody about leisure activities today, they might uh, say sports or or other uh, kinds of games and such. There were some different games so when, when this started happening in the 1800s. Um, things like kicking people in the shins. <laughs> kicking people in the shins is the oldest um, British martial art believe it or not. And yeah, they would kick people, would have tournaments, they would, in the lot of this was in the countryside, they would dress in smocks and they would literally kick each other in the shins until someone would yield. But in the, in the towns, in the working class towns, where a lot of people wore wooden clogs, they did it there too. Can you imagine <laughs> being kicked in the shins with, working, with, with clogs, heavy wooden clogs, until you gave in? But yeah, it was one of those crazy things that happened. Yeah, I'm but just. It wasn't the only one, Jill, that you knew. There were other ones. Welly wanging. How far could you throw Wellington boot? Bog snorkeling. Rolling cheeses. Carrying your wife. Worm charming. There was all these weird and wonderful things that the Victorian. <laughs> Well, it's uh, it's it's interesting to think of that conversation. If even if you go back to the kicking each other with clogs, that somebody would have had to come up with that idea, and then people would have had to agree with it, saying, "Yes, that sounds like a fun idea. Let's do that in our spare time." Yeah, I I I, I don't think I can comment on actually the people who started who started it. Coming from a working class background myself, I'm not sure I would volunteer. Uh, what is gurning, and, uh, and and how did this all come about? Gurning is amazing. Gurning has been around really since the 13th century, but Victorians loved to organise things. Everything had to be codified and have rules. So even gurning, alongside lots of other sports, even gurning during that period becomes it becomes a more organised sport, and gurning 
you would put um, a huge uh, horse collar around your head, poke your head through, and then you would pull the weirdest, the funniest face you could imagine. Quite often, it was trying to get your bottom jaw or your lip as far up as you could. And it became, it, it still is today, um, it, the National Gurning Championships are held in Cumbria in the north of England today. And that's amazing, too, that not only did that become an event, but like you say, it's a world championship. And then 1267, it's hard to think that there is a championship today that goes all the way back to the 1200s. Absolutely. I can't think of another one. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, uh, I guess this would be also kind of early stage photography or uh, kind of making images, these stereoscopic images, uh, mm. making a, the, the first, I guess the first kind of recorded illusion of, of three dimensions, three dimensionality uh, by, by using photographs. How do, what were people doing here? Well, what they did, what, to make that effect, all they needed to do was take two photographs of the same object just from very slightly different positions. And then you place them side by side. And it's a little bit, you know, like those, um, you you know, today we can get books and there's lots of dots and you go slightly cross-eyed and you're supposed to be able to see an image come through in 3D. Well, it was a similar idea in the Victorian period. They'd take a number of photographs, put them very close together. You'd stare in the middle and your peripheral vision would turn them into one 3D image. Hmm. And that became something for leisure time as well. I mean, I guess that that makes sense. Uh, One of the other uh, things that came about, this one to me, out of all of them, uh, kind of uh, seems easier to kind of see the path on how this would have become a thing. And that was creating love tokens, because it does seem like that's kind of always been there in some way, shape, or form. But, of course, this was also different, how how crafting these basic love, love tokens came about. Yes. So love tokens, you know, in the Victorian times, they, they were synonymous with emotion. And they were synonymous with love. They were quite often flat, round discs, and people would intertwine, a little bit like we do when we're, when we're young, and we write our initials and we intertwine them with the object of our affections, initials, on the covers of our books. Well, it is exactly the same. It was uh, covered, it was a round flat token, and they would engrave and intertwine uh, their lovers' initials on on those tokens, or even their, their names. And that's, that's, it's not as easy to make as today as we think, but it's basically bashing a coin flat and actually doing that engraving. I understand with the love tokens as well. It was love tokens for people that were perhaps romantically interested in each other, but also quite significant. They also went into scenarios with prisoners mm-hmm. and and linked in one at the side of a hospital. Yes, yes. That, that's the other side. I mean, we think about romantic love tokens in that way, but there are other tokens of affection Sometimes of desperation as well. So prisoners who were sentenced in Britain to transportation to Australia, they often made love, love tokens for those that they were forcibly separated from. And quite often they would cut them in half so that when they got back together, the two parts would meet. So that happened a lot. But one of the most interesting and something that I've seen, uh, I've been privileged to see quite a few times, 
is the Foundling Hospital in London was a place where desperate women, uh, lots of the time single mothers, um, who couldn't afford to keep their children, would literally leave their children on the steps of the Foundling Hospital. And with their children, they would leave these tiny little tokens. Sometimes it was just a button. These were very poor people. It was a button or part of a coin, again, something broken in half, even sometimes a a nutshell, anything that they had, and they would leave them with their child to say, that's my baby. And one day when I go and get them back, I know what I've left them with. Hmm. And on the Foundling Hospital today, we have the Foundling Museum, and you can go into the Foundling Museum, and you can see the most emotional, it's really difficult to go in there without emotion, you can see an exhibition of all these wonderful, tiny, tiny tokens. On the surface, they're insignificant, but they meant so much to people. Well, what an interesting look back at the birth of leisure activities. And again, like you said, the fact that there are there are still world gurning championships to this day. <laughs> uh, thank you so much, Dr. Turner, for, for taking us back and uh, talking about how all of these activities started. What uh, an interesting look. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much, Jill, for having me.